G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Miracle is defined in the dictionary like this, an extraordinary, welcomed event that is not explicable by natural or scientific law and is therefore attributed to a divine agency. Basically, the definition is this, a miracle is something that cannot be explained any other way other than God. It's one thing to believe that the supernatural exists. Now, here's the next question. Do you believe that God intervenes supernaturally into your life? Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Do you believe in miracles? Or are they just a thing of the distant past? In this Christmas series, Pastor Jeff is helping us to rediscover the wonder of Christmas. In this message, he's speaking about miraculous wonder. Join us now in Luke chapter 1 from verse 26. It's a joyful and thought-provoking message. We're going to talk about something in this series that I wish somebody would have talked to me about when I was younger. It's a simple question. We're going to address it in the text, but here's the question. And think about it before you answer. In fact, don't answer out loud, okay? Just keep it to yourself, all right? Do you believe in miracles? Yes. (laughs) Do you believe they still happen today, or do they happen way back when, don't much happen anymore? Yes. Yeah. Let me define, because some of you might say, and if you're of the intellectual persuasion, you're that 10% who's very analytical, and you've been through the journey that I've been through in my life, I know where you're coming from. Because I would ask you, if you ask me that question, to define what you mean by miracle. So, miracle is defined in the dictionary like this, an extraordinary, welcomed event that is not explicable by natural or scientific law and is therefore attributed to a divine agency. Basically, the definition is this, a miracle is something that cannot be explained any other way other than God. It's the only plausible explanation. Now, I want to show you something on a map here. This is, I was just in, uh, if you don't know where I've been, the last week or so, I've been uh, in Australia and Tasmania preaching the gospel. Remember, I told you when I'm not here, I'm not on vacation. I'm answering very tough questions by a very skeptical world. Uh, and I, this time, they actually had an audience of junior hires, which is the most intimidating audience you could ever imagine. And I really had, I didn't know what was going to happen. And the guy who was my host said, oh, by the way, after we do the adults, we want you to speak to the junior hires. Let me tell you something. I told them they could ask me any question they want, and they would write it down, put it in a jar. Every person in attendance asked a question. (laughs) They didn't go, I don't think we went home till like midnight. You think junior hires aren't listening? You think they don't have questions that are powerful questions? They hear what's going on, they see. So I'm there answering the questions. Had one day off, and there's a a map that's going to appear on the screen right now. And the reason I show you that is there's a place called Surfer's Paradise. And by last, the day before I came home, I had a free day. So I think, man, I'm going to go down to Surfer's Paradise. Nobody knows me here, so I can take my shirt off and get a suntan, right? I can't do that here. People are, oh, Pastor Jeff, please. 
And so I'm getting a little sunshine. And I, it cost like $48 to Uber there, and I didn't want to pay the money to go back. 48 bucks just from where we were staying. I think, I'll just walk. So I started walking back, and I thought, well, as long as the ocean's on my right-hand side, I'll find my way back home because I knew that our place was near the ocean. Well, there's a problem you can see on this map. There's a peninsula. <laughs> and so after about four and a half hours walking and thinking I'm close to home, I pull out my phone, which I should have done earlier, to see where I was. And I realized I'm in deep trouble. And I'm very tired, it's 90 degrees. I'm starting to feel a little bit you know, shaky, I don't have any water. And I remember just walking toward the end saying, God, you gotta help me, God, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I can't, my, my phone has no reception now. I'm in big trouble. I said, God, you gotta help me. And I walked around the corner and on a rock, somebody had left an e-bike. Now think about something. At least that's my story, I'm sticking to it. So I took my phone and I tried, the, you, you do the barcode, you know, and it's supposed to unlock the bike and it did. And I got on the bike. I've never been so thankful for a bicycle. And I rode the bike back to where I was in reception to a 7-Eleven and then I Ubered from there. So in reality, it ended up costing me double what I would have paid if I just called an Uber. <laughs> now the question is, is that a miracle or is that explainable some other way? Okay, before I answer that, let's read the text where we know for sure it's a miracle. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You're going to be with child and give birth to a son, and you're going to give him the name Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born or to be born will be called the son of God, even Elizabeth. Your relative is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren in her, is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped or leapt. I can't figure out which one we're supposed to say in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Okay, so a virgin is going to have a baby, and God's the father. That's pretty miraculous. Don't you think? Now, here's what's interesting about this. The, I stood in uh, uh, the Council of Nicaea, where it was held in Turkey this past summer. So we got to go to a place. I got to stand 2,000 years later where the Council of Nicaea occurred. And the Council of Nicaea is where they did not determine but affirmed the passages or the books of the Bible. And part of the Christian creed that has been given to us down for 2,000 years basically goes something like this. 
Jesus was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was born of a Virgin Mary. So if you believe this, it means that you believe that God became an embryo, was born as a baby to a woman who was a virgin. Now, don't you find that somewhat fantastical? Be difficult to believe, wouldn't it? Or would it? Because here's what I find amazing. What I find amazing is this creed or doctrine was not seriously challenged until the enlightenment of the 18th century. What I find amazing is that for 1,800 years, people assumed the virgin birth. 1,800 years of affirmation in the virgin birth. I don't think most of us realize how widespread this belief was. It was hardly given a second thought through much of human history. I know what people say because I've been there, and they'll say this, Pastor Jeff, well, those people back then were uneducated, and they believed in things like that. Really? You know, these are the same people that gave us the laws of logic and philosophical debate, the first designs of fluid cities and roads and maps, some of the first mapping of our solar system and galaxy, not to mention jurisprudence or the theory or philosophy of law. The fact is, the circumstantial evidence that surrounded the resurrection was so powerful that it made the virgin birth plausible. You with me? So if Jesus rose from the dead, how hard would it really be to be born a virgin? And the circumstantial evidence of the resurrection was so powerful. In fact, no Jewish polemic resources doubt an empty tomb. But then came the Enlightenment in the 18th century. And this is important because you and I are derivatives of the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment is this, a European intellectual movement emphasizing reason and individualism. So in the 1800s, there's a denial of the supernatural. There's a rather pompous attitude toward the miraculous. And everything was explained by knowledge and understanding of the material universe because that, it was believed since the Enlightenment that there's nothing else in the world other than material. Everything is material. Now, you can understand why I would be tempted to go down a long rabbit trail here, but I'm going to resist it, except to say this. Logically, to say that everything in the universe is material is self-defeating because you can't prove that everything is material without non-material things. Ideas, the laws of mathematics, moral values, the laws of logic, propositions. None of these can be touched or felt, and yet they exist. The point is, the West sees itself as rational scientific people, and it has since the Enlightenment. So we are encouraged to ask the hard questions, demand empirical evidence, which are very good things, but we go too far. In our European classrooms, since then, categorically claim that science and miracles cannot coexist, that you have to choose between science and miracles. Now stay with me. This first part's a bit difficult, but then it'll make the rest of it so much more enjoyable. Dr. John Lennox, who is not weak by any sense of the imagination, intellectually speaking. He's a graduate of Oxford, PhD from Cambridge, Cardiff, and the University of Surrey. And he says, when people say science and miracles cannot coexist, his word is poppycock. I don't know what that means, but that's what he says. In fact, he says, without science... You would not recognize a miracle when you saw it. You have to have an understanding of the natural world to comprehend the supernatural world. Now, this is so good, it's rather lengthy, but stay with me. Here's what he says. He gives the example. He says, what if I'm in a hotel and I put 100 pounds in the drawer on the first night and 100 pounds in the drawer the second night? So 100 plus 100 is 200. 
And on the third morning, I wake up and there's only 50 pounds in the drawer. What do I conclude? That the laws of arithmetic have been broken or the laws of England? He says, well, of course I conclude the laws of England have been broken. I've been robbed. But why do I conclude that? Because the laws of mathematics have not been broken. The mistake is to think that the drawer is a closed system of cause and effect, and therefore there's nothing outside of it that could come in and feed something in or take something out. Mathematics cannot say to a thief, stop, stop, you're about to break the laws of arithmetic. That's absurd. Then he says, it's our knowledge of the laws of arithmetic, and in the more general sense, it's our knowledge of the laws of nature that enable us to recognize a claimant for miracles. You know what he's saying, right? Because you know how natural things should work. When something comes in from the outside, you know now this is supernatural. He said, if you didn't know that dead bodies stay in the ground, well, the resurrection of Jesus would be no big deal. But the point is, in the world of the New Testament 20 centuries ago, they knew the relevant laws of nature, and that's why they recognized miracles. When people say today that science and miracles clash, he says, well, no. He says, if there is a God who created the universe and has it running on certain recognizable laws... He's not constrained by them. He's not a prisoner of them. He can feed a new and special event in, and our knowledge of the laws will help us recognize that. He says, so you need both things. You need a universe that does run on laws in order to recognize the hand of God when he gets involved. Now, that was a bit difficult, but you'll get, it'll all come in. Listen, it's one thing to believe that the supernatural exists. Now, here's the next question. Do you believe that God intervenes supernaturally into your life? Dr. Lennox would ask you this question. He would say, do you affirm that God is not constrained by natural laws he himself has created? He's not a prisoner to them. He can feed a new and special event in the natural world anytime he wants. How many times have you heard me say, God is not limited by anything he himself has created? Now, before I go on with this, let me, let's pause. Why am I doing this? There are some questions I'm asking in my old age. Has the European enlightenment so impacted me that I am missing out on the supernatural intervention of God because I think I haven't figured out? Has knowledge and wisdom and education proudly eliminated the power and willingness of God to do things in my life that are immeasurably more than I could ever ask or imagine because of the knowledge and wisdom of the enlightenment. Have I thrown the baby out with the bathwater? What do I mean by that? And I seldom do this, but I'm going to do it right now. And you're probably going to find me doing it more often because here's the thing. If I don't speak up about some of these things, we got a whole young generation that they never are informed. They're never, the pastor doesn't have the courage to stand and say, this is not good. Benny Hinn. Anybody remember him? I remember the first time I saw him take off his jacket and there were people out in the audience and he pretended as if he had the power to give you the Holy Spirit or to keep it from you. So he tells the whole audience, do you want the Spirit? Do you want the Spirit? And they're all begging for it. He walks away as if he has the power. Now that's the kind of things a lot of Americans have seen over time. We've seen televangelists have private jets and live in luxurious homes. Sometimes when I go to Australia and New Zealand, because it's Aussies and Kiwis, you know I love you, and I know you're watching, but you have some of the wackiest people I've ever met in my life. Sometimes for a pastor to impress me, 
The first thing he will say is, oh, Pastor Jeff, we just got back from where we raised 100 people from the dead. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> no, you didn't. Don't you believe it? Yeah, but if you raised 100 people from the dead, it'd be all over the news. It'd be all over. People came back from the dead. There are broken people who are desperate for love and affirmation who act downright weird. Not road to Damascus weird, not Pentecost weird, but narcissistically weird. And in my early ministry, I tended to run from those top cultures. I was afraid of those cultures because something wasn't resonating, something wasn't right. Then I go to seminary, and I received at seminary propositions that supported my resistance. I was told that miracles were a first century occurrence and they had come to an end. I thought, wait a minute, what? No more supernatural intervention? Really? And perhaps this is the reason the West has lost its wonder. Have our lives become a closed drawer where nothing from the outside can come in? It feels intellectually safe, but where is the wonder and untamable God? Now, interestingly enough, the Christmas narrative teaches us something very valuable. One, it teaches us that through the virgin birth, God has revealed his plan to be willing to step inside our world. He is not reticent. And two, Mary shows us how we are to respond to the supernatural events of our lives. And both of those are extremely important because revival is coming to one and all. And when revival comes, it can get messy. So there has to be accountability. There has to be objective truth. Now, I want to show you this quickly, and then I want to challenge you. As I've challenged my own life. Do you think that when Mary saw the angels, she didn't struggle? Oh, of course angels visiting me. Of course I'm going to bear the... Of course I'm going to get pregnant by God and be a... You know, really? You don't think she said, what? In that passage, the following Greek words appear. She struggled, she was puzzled, she marveled, and she pondered. And then finally she came to terms with it. So like us, she also had rational barriers that she had to overcome. In fact, it may have been even more difficult for Mary because Mary's a Jew and Jews did not believe for any possibility that the God of the universe would take on flesh. There's no way God would reduce himself to that kind of evil. The point I'm making is there's never been a time in history where there are not major obstacles to believing that the creator of the universe came into a girl's womb to be born as a human being. So the angel's announcement takes all the cultural narratives and demands hard intellectual work. Mary doesn't shrink from it, which is amazing given her age. She ponders the evidence. She concluded its truth. And in so doing, she gives us a wonderful pattern, a wonderful pattern of how to acknowledge, pray for, look for, anticipate the supernatural workings of God in your life. Here's what she does first. She questions. Her first response to what is happening is measured incredulity. She says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Don't you think that's a fair question? Pregnancy typically fathers intimacy. This is a violation of the natural order of things. Now, on the other hand, there's a part of me that wants to talk to Mary and say, Mary, you're talking to an angel. How hard is a virgin birth? I mean, if you're talking to an angel, that means there's a God. And if there's a God, is, really thing, is there anything that's really impossible? That's why I tell young people that once God is assumed, all things are possible in your life. The God question is the biggest question you can answer. It's the biggest question you'll ever ask. And it is the most rational conclusion that you could ever come to. 
A self-existing God, who is the ultimate first cause, is the most rational conclusion at which you could ever arrive. It's the only thing that makes sense. So once you deduce God, anything is possible, right? Come on, if God is real, is there anything that's impossible? Now, I didn't say likely. I didn't say likely. For instance, there's a marathon in Cincinnati, Ohio that's run every year. It's called the Flying Pig Marathon. But I doubt if you go there, you'll see flying pigs. That's not likely. I'm not saying that with God, everything is likely. Flying pigs are not likely. I'm just simply saying with God, nothing is too difficult. Once you assume God, you assume that God can do whatever he wants. Mary rationalizes. She listens to the words of the angel. She expresses her doubt, but she's open to belief. And then she moves to step two. She accepts. Verse 38. I am the Lord, or I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Luke 1, 38. Now, I wish we could break this down, but let's unpack it just a little bit. Here's what she's saying. She's saying, I don't fully understand this, but that doesn't change what I do understand. God has spoken, and it, this will happen. Now, notice she does not say, I accept, God, this is a good plan. I'm totally down with this. No, she marvels and she wonders because she knows this is going to cost her something. God's going to do something amazing in her life, but that amazing thing may not be understood by everybody else or even believed. Think about it. Mary's going to be pregnant, and everybody knows. These are small towns, and she doesn't have a husband. You know, what is she going to say? Yes, I know you're staring at me. I'm pregnant, but don't worry. God's the Father. You talk about ridicule, shame, blasphemy, and death by stoning so when Mary says, I'm your servant, let it be to me according to your word, she's saying, okay, I get it. This may cost me dearly, but the fact that God has decided to do the miraculous thing in my life pleases me more than any fear I might have of the repercussions. Now, let me just take a pause here. Far too many people, far too many of you, far too many of us will not move forward in faith until we have every possible scenario answered. You know that? God has a strong call on your life, and he has from the time you were a child. And there are times in your life when you know clearly what that is, but because you haven't figured everything out and how God would supply if you step out in faith, you stayed still, and as a result, your life becomes boring. I look back on my life now. When God called me to go to Africa, man, I was terrified. I'd never been out of Tennessee except through basketball trips. And I'm going to get on a plane for the first time and I'm going to fly to Africa. And I'm, I, you know, this was before you just, kind of, you, know, you know, you don't come back and forth every other week. You know, I knew I was going to stay there for three years. In making that decision, all the things flooded in. How will you take care of yourself? What if the money runs out? I mean, how will you survive? You don't know the language. You don't know the people. What if you feel, had, but now I look back, had I not done that, I would have missed out on the greatest adventure of my life. In fact, that adventure set the tone, the trajectory of the rest of my life. And I had very little figured out, but I knew I'd rather go on this great adventure with God than a boring, safe, mundane life without him. Can I tell some of you something? Can I tell us all something? You will never know what it is to experience the supernatural until you do something that requires it. Most of us want to control our lives so that we don't need the supernatural. And yes, that is safe, maybe, but it's boring. And moreover, as you get older, the time will come when you realize you were never in control, especially in those times when you thought you were. And what a great ride it would have been had you trusted God, obeyed God, risked everything, and then watch him as he honors your obedience. 
So God has supernaturally intervened in Mary's life, and it's going to require an investment, but the dividends are huge. And before I move on, what about you? What about you? Are you missing a great life because you settled for a safe one? You've had opportunities to do things that would change the world, but you don't have everything figured out, so you just settle back into what you feel is safe. Do you know that's just boring, mediocre? Now, I'm a pastor. I can't tell you what God is speaking to you. That's not my job. But for many of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But it's never too late. It's never too late. It just gets harder to step out by faith the older you get. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Is it not what you're really after to know that God is involved in your life all the time and is willing to bring something from the outside in and that you could notice it and experience? How much encouragement would you have if you knew God was working in your life every day to know that your life truly mattered, that it was extraordinary? You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me want to dance and sing With every single breath I bring I will bring this offering You are my wonder You bring the wonder Today 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 with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.